you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors on this Tuesday edition of the show here on 94.3 The Game. We have got plenty to discuss as the transfer portal rolls on. Of course, there is plenty of news coming out of that, all sorts of names, players, and uh, speculation about guys entering the portal has now become official as the uh, portal opened yesterday to all undergraduates. And so we're going to discuss that, all the ECU entries into the portal, what players the Pirates are starting to look for in the transfer portal. Coaches are on the road right now recruiting. John David Baker was introduced formally yesterday after our show, so we got the chance to talk to John David for the first time as a Pirate, and we got plenty of thoughts on that as well. As usual for our Tuesday show, we've got Joe Sampson on the call uh, or in the studio uh, alongside and Philip Pilkington producing as well and joe we finally got our guy john david baker finally got the chance to see him speak i know you you had some other obligations but i'm sure you watched the press conference and got a feel for it so what's your initial thoughts on john david baker the pirates new oc i gotta clear two things one the obligation was class i want everybody to know that i wasn't playing hooky for my job i value the reporting we do here i value the scoops, as the great Patrick Johnson would refer to them. Uh, the second is, we, we got an offensive coordinator who's wearing brown snakeskin boots in his intro press conference. I mean, I'm, I'm fired up for the good old southern boy who's going to take this offense and talks about Greenville as an SEC town. He said all the right things. We're going to get more into that as far as diving into some of his quotes and, and his concepts and the things that he talked about with such kind of gusto, so to speak, because he's fired up to be here and we're fired up to have him. Very excited about the John David Baker era. And Philip Hilkinson, you were there inside uh, the Ward Sports Medicine Building, the team meeting room, which Joe Sampson has been a part of plenty of times. But uh, what were your, your, your thoughts on John David Baker? We'll get to some of the cuts here in a little bit, but your initial thoughts on just hearing him speak, kind of taking in his presence, so to speak. Yeah, you know, we'll get to this here in a second. But it, what I really stood out to me is his self-awareness balanced with self confidence. He talked about how he never has called plays in a game, but he gave examples where he's called plays in a game-like setting. And then he talked about how if he didn't feel like his previous stops had prepared him, he would have not applied for the job. And, you know, we all talked about how we wanted a guy with experience, but the unfortunate thing is it's hard to get the home run higher when you get the guy with experience without just having the old guy who's going to be here for a year or two and be done. I mean, now, if John David Baker's a home run higher, he's going to be here for a year or two and go to an SEC school. However, it, you know, the big thing is if you wanted to get the home run higher, you needed the young guy, you needed the guy who was motivated, ready to go, and it seems like the that's what he is. All right, guys. John David Baker will uh, you know, start his position, of course, immediately. He will coach in the bowl game. And, you know, we don't we don't have this cut, but I want to get you guys' take on it. He made it clear, despite coaching in the bowl game, he is an East Carolina Pirate. He's actually on the road recruiting today. He is with Mike Houston. They're going to go see uh, quarterback commitment Cole Hodge from Kentucky. And so he will do that. He will continue to recruit a quarterback in the transfer portal. 
you know, a lot of fans made somewhat of a deal about him coaching in the bowl game, saying he needs all focus right now on the OC job. My takeaway was he is going to do that, and then basically he's just going to show up at the bowl game, maybe attend a few practices. But, Joe, what did you make of that, and do you still think he can do his job as the Pirates' new OC uh, despite coaching the bowl game? Yeah, I mean, this is what we call crossover season as far as that goes. You're so used to coaches kind of being in and out of the building. We had a couple last year and during some bowl game prep that were seeking other opportunities and interviewing different places. And it's kind of like who's here today, who's not here today when it comes to bowl practices. They're a lot less intense. They're a lot more laid back. You're still getting the work in, but there's less of a time crunch, so to speak, until you kind of get into that four game window right before the game and you're sharpening things up and I don't know how Ole Miss does it I don't know if they do the time off I don't know how that plays in because of the SEC championship and all that kind of stuff I don't know where their schedule aligns but I loved what he said about it he said I made a promise to these kids I made a promise to the parents in those rooms that I would coach them at Ole Miss through the like through the 12 month period and that shows the commitment he has not just to what Ole Miss does but we're going to do as well. And he talked about that and we'll get to the eight month kind of time crunch. He's given himself to get this right. But that shows that he understands the relationship of these kids. He understands how important it is to kind of keep your promises and how important it is to keep that relationship building. Even when some guys are going to move on to different schools or you do. Now, when, when we had talked to him yesterday, Joe, he had not spoken with the players, at least as a team. And I know you still – you're on the team, not this past season, but the year before. Have you just heard anything through the grapevine about his initial meeting with the team, how it went, what kind of impression he made? And, and look, there's some moving parts right now, guys, in and out of the portal. But what, what have you heard from that, if anything? So – Obviously, my connection is the tight ends. We all know that by now. If you haven't figured out my bias, you will soon know. He went to most of the tight ends individually. Don't want to name names. A couple guys hit me up, talked just about a little bit of it as far as friends go, so I have nothing to report on names. But they talked about the importance of that room and how the tight end position has been so good to him in the past and how he coached it at USC and how he coached it at Ole Miss and how that's going to be something he takes with him. And he's not going to leave them out to dry so to speak he is going to coach the quarterbacks here he is going to head the offenses we've kind of talked about but he wants to make sure the tight ends are involved in the offense the same way they were at his other stops and i think that was a huge thing to kind of hear based on how limited of a role they had this year with latrell scott leaving and heading to maryland and what that kind of meant for the room but he also talked about in the press conference he talked about running the ball he wants to push the rock you have to set up the run game but he also said and i quote we're going to air the ball out And that was a huge thing to kind of hear because you've gotten so worried about this lull of wanting to run the ball first and how does that kind of set up your second down and third down. He wants to air it out. He wants to throw the ball deep. He wants to take shots. He wants to be aggressive. So from what I heard from all the guys, just as friends, they were very excited about it. And then as the reporter, they were like, we're really excited about what he can do and what he's going to bring. All right, let's get to some of these comments here from John David Baker. We got a few cuts and then we'll expand upon them with some some roundtable thoughts. He was asked about, A, his offense, but, two, kind of how his past has influenced how he, where he is now. And I thought his answer was interesting on both accounts. We'll play about uh, you know, th- this somewhat lengthy cut about his past and where he is now. And he goes into kind of all the coaches he's been under, the different trees. We'll talk about that. Let's listen to that cut. Philip, you can play at how his past has influenced where John David Baker is today. I do not take a ton of credit for the things that I know and the offense that I run. Um, Mostly because I feel fortunate 
I'm who I am and where I am today because of the guys I've been around. Like I've been extremely, I'm 33 years old. I've worked at four different schools now and just the guys that I've worked with starting even all the way back when I played in college. Like my head coach was Chris Thompson, who's the associate head coach at Florida State. Uh, my high school head coach was Sterling Gilbert, who was the offense coordinator at University of Texas a few years ago. Um, and then on to North Texas, working for Seth Luttrell, who obviously in the state of North Carolina did a great job at UNC. Uh, Graham Harrell, Clay Helton, um, Jeff Levy, Lane Kiffin. Those are guys that I've gotten to sit in rooms with for a lot of years and kind of develop what, what it will kind of look like in the fall. So it's, um, you know, like I said earlier, got to spend a lot of time in the air raid with Graham and Seth. Um, and that's kind of the basis of what we believe on offense. All right, there's John David Baker talking about that. And, guys, when I hear the word air raid thrown around, if any ECU fan hears the word air raid thrown around, they automatically think of Lincoln Riley. Now, I do want to clarify, this is not only going to be an air raid offense, but there will be some air raid concepts. And But when you just hear some of those names, Joe, as a football guy and an offensive guy, like how excited does that make you to hear some of those offensive names he's coached under? And what do you expect this offense to look like at the end of the day? Yeah, I think it's going to be a hybrid set. I think it's going to be one of those 60-40s, probably – 60% pass, 40% run. He he respects the run, and that's what he's learned. I think that's what Kiffin kind of taught him. Obviously, the Helton stuff, we've heard all about his air raid and how he's kind of done it now at Georgia Southern and all those different things have played in. When he was at USC, he had Keaton Slovis and all those different guys who kind of played into it. What separated what he talked about was he said, we will respect the air raid, that's where I came from, but we're going to run the ball. And I think that spoke volumes to how he kind of evaluated where this level you have to play football the way you play football. And you can't just play finesse. You can't just try and get to the sideline. You can't throw this little stick route five, ten times a game and expect to get those gritty, grimy yards that you need to push these drives down the field. So that was huge for me. Everybody talks about the air raid. Everybody's going to point fingers at Lincoln Riley. The Seth Luttrell comment was huge to me because, yes, Seth Luttrell was great at North Texas. He was better at UNC. Obviously, things didn't play out as far as you were hoping if you're Seth Luttrell. But he as a name offensively is one of the bigger ones that you've heard of in the state before his system is carried over. And then Jeff Levy was just named head coach at Mississippi state. Then he worked with Kiffin and he was at Oklahoma. I mean, th- th- he's got great stops also. So now you're looking at his tree, so to speak, and you're looking at four power five coaches that he's been under in different kind of circumstances in different ways that have played out. And I think that's what's made me so excited is he's got four very different, but similar schemes to pull from and build his own. And, and we just won't know until we see it next fall how exactly it'll look. So there will be at least some element of surprise there. But when you, when you just look at what we saw this past year, and, and a lot of it was due to personnel, but just the lack of creativity, the lack of motion, I think we're going to see a complete 180 in terms of all that. I mean, you can still run the ball, but do it creatively and, and you know, cre- creatively and, and do a good job with it. And we just didn't see that enough this past year. Uh, let's play this second cut here. This will be the first time he will be a play caller, guys. So that is an adjustment. And I wanted to know, how do you prepare for that moment? Play calling is an art. It takes time. Let's hear his answer to that. Uh, here is John David Baker. That's kind of been the beauty of my position the last few years. So like any time, Coach Kiffin did a great job of, of preparing me for that kind of stuff. Um, anytime we got in a scrimmage type situation, 
whether it's spring game, fall scrimmage, um, you know, there was always, we'd always split up. And so I'm, I've, was calling one of the sides, so one of the offenses. And so I've done it for, done it for a while now um, and feel extremely comfortable because, you know, you don't ever get a position and then all of a sudden try and get prepared for it. I've been prepared for this for a long time and, and had the ability to work under people that have helped me get prepared for it. All right, there's John David Baker on play calling. I want to get Phillip's take, and then we'll go to Joe. Phillip, when you hear it's going to be a first-time play caller, how much does that does that worry you at all? Or are you pretty confident in John David with kind of the things he said about, you know, preparing for this moment? Do you feel like that'll that'll help him transition here? I think if you are going to hire anybody who hasn't done it, he seems the most prepared. But, it, you know, it's got to worry you a little bit because until you've done it in the game, how do you know that you can do it? You know, we talk about players all the time. Nothing can simulate game reps like game reps. And I think the good thing is the first part of this schedule was a little more favorable than it was a year ago. So he has the opportunity to learn from his early mistakes. And that's all it's going to come down to. Look, he's not going to be perfect. Nobody is. We're all human beings. It, does he have the mindset to learn from his mistakes? Or does he have too big of an ego to not learn from his mistakes? And by the way, he talked the other day. I would say it's the the first one he you know he seemed very self-aware and, and very mature for a 33 year old so yeah it's it's a little scary not having a guy who's done it before but like i said earlier if you bring in a guy who's done it before he's either probably not had a lot of success or he's on the back end of his career and he's kind of looking for a retirement job and neither one of those sound like the home run hit to me as much as i had wanted a guy with experience this was probably the best way to go to stand your best chance at the home run however you also stand a good chance to strike out as opposed to going with the conservative thing but hey this team needed a home run hire, and I'm okay going for the home run strikeout instead of going with the conservative. We're probably going to hit a double. Joe, you've been a part of, of scrimmages at ECU where you guys split up the teams and you know the different offensive coaches called plays. So how much do you feel like a coach can grow from that experience versus doing it in a game, which is clearly going to be a step up, but it's, it's got to be at least a good simulation. Yeah, I mean, it's it's as close as to what you're possibly going to get. Obviously, we all know Saturday is the intensity. The speed of the game picks up, and everybody talks about, well, you practice fast, you play faster. And obviously, every coach tries to build that institution, so to speak, where it's like, well, we're going to practice so fast, the game's going to feel slow. That's crock of absolute bull. But the point is, is you're trying to do that. And his first tweet after his press conference finished was hashtag fast. So he believes in the speed of the game. He's going to understand there's going to be a little bit of a difference. But what stood out to me from him talking about that and how he kind of talked about lack of experience and where he got it from, everybody's got to start somewhere. Nobody knows they can play call until they've had the chance, until you've had the call sheet in front of you, until it's third and four with 12.48 left in the third quarter and you're on the backside 20 and you're on the left hash. What are you calling? Nobody knows. Nobody's sleeping about that and thinking about it in their dreams. You have to be put in those situations. I liked what Phillips said about wanting the home run higher. Unfortunately for us, it was the bottom of the ninth with two outs. It's a 3-2 count. We we needed a home run or it was a straight strikeout, and we're going off into the sunset or we're going to go off into the dugout. And that's the difference is Coach Houston bared down got the guy he thought was the most appropriate and the most experienced given what he wanted. 
And then he said, this is the guy we're going to build it around. He's young. He's energetic. He's got that kind of juice that people want to come play for. And I think it's going to translate into his play calling. All right, let's hit this final cut. And I thought this was an interesting answer. He was very honest about it. They talked. I asked him about how much the defense and how well the Pirates played on that side of the ball last year, holding opponents to well less than 25 points a game. I can't remember what the official number was at the end of the year, but certainly a defense is good enough to win and go to a bowl game, compete for a conference championship. How much that played a role in his decision? Here's his answer to that. Full transparency it was. And it's um, knowing that they had pieces coming back on defense and, and what Coach Harrell and those guys were able to do last year. Um, knowing that coming here, all we really need to do is fix the offense. I felt very confident in being able to do that. And, and that's why, you know, when I talk to our kids later today, is making sure that gets conveyed to them. Like, this is not a, this is not a two-year plan. This is not a three-year plan. This is, we got eight months to go get this thing right because we can go do something really special next season. And so making sure our guys understand that and have a sense of the urgency about doing that. All right, guys. So, I mean, when we went through the preliminary list during this search and these names were thrown around, John David Baker was the first we heard. And I, I don't know. I don't remember if we discussed this on the air, off the air, what, what not. But basically, the discussion was, all right, why would this guy come to ECU, take a, a slight pay cut, which he is taking, by the way. Uh, and, you know, the reasons were he wanted to be the guy on offense, wanted to be in charge. And the other was you come into a situation where, yes, it's a 2-10 and 10 team, but if you fix the offense, which he will be in charge of, you've got a chance to turn it around pretty quickly. So, Joe, what did you make of his comments? And I kind of felt like, given the success on that side of the ball and Blake Carroll and the stability, that that was going to be a big role here, and it ended up being just that. I think what came to my mind was the old Matthew McConaughey Lincoln commercial. Sometimes you got to go back before you can go forward. In his case, he's the co-offensive coordinator of a team that Lane Kiffin has now had play calling for since he got there. You're not an established offensive coordinator as far as that goes. You're the co-guy, so you're putting together game plans, you're scouting opponents, and yeah, that can get you pretty far in this business. But at some point, you got to show that you can call the game, you can build an offense around you, you have a system if you want to progress. And he's a young guy. He's 33. He's not like it's 45 looking for his big head coaching job and this is his chance or he's going down. He's young enough where he's got this chance to kind of build himself up and do these different things that he wants to do. The thing about it was when he talked about how he wanted to call these games, I was a little concerned because, yes, when he acknowledged it, and we've talked about it before with his play-calling experience, we talked a little bit about we wanted the guy that was proven. We wanted the guy that was going to know what he was supposed to do. But I, I wasn't concerned by any means about what he said. I, I liked how he talked about Greenville. I liked how he talked about the expectations of Greenville. We look at this offense. You are If you score one more touchdown every single game, you're, you're sitting in a bowl game. You could have had a shot at the conference title based on a couple things swing. I mean, you win Tulane, you win Rice, you win Charlotte, you win Navy. Those are all just different things where if you put yourself in those situations and you can find a way to just score one more touchdown, get a couple more points, you're sitting here at like 7-5. and five. You're sitting here at possibly 8-4. and four. You're sitting here with a chance that you might have knocked off SMU at that point. You might have knocked off Tulane at that point. You could be playing for the American Conference Championship just off one more touchdown with an offense that <laughs> frantically was 
sleepwalking most of the season as far as production goes. So for him to say those things and talk about the defense, yeah, the defense lets up 13 points and you score 17, you win every week. And I think that's what John David Baker was talking about is it kind of takes a little bit of pressure off you as a play caller when you know you have a defense that can deliver in those key moments so you can get to your game plan, so you can do the things you want to do. All right, that's the voice of Joe Sampson. Let's get our first break in. We'll come back. We'll continue to discuss John David Baker. We've got a few comments, questions on Facebook and YouTube, which we will get to. Uh, continue to drop those in on uh, on the show. We'll get to those throughout the hour. And then we also got to dive into the transfer portal, the guys that have entered for ECU. We got our first surprise yesterday of the transfer portal stage of the offseason to this point. We'll discuss that as well here on Hoist the Colors on a Tuesday. Everything you need to know in the world of ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in to Hoist the Colors, 94.3 The Game on this Tuesday edition of the show. We just had an in-depth discussion about John David Baker's press conference, his first public comments since taking the job as ECU's new offensive coordinator, so we discussed that in segment one. We got a few comments here. Chase on Facebook says, it'll be nice to have a youthful, modern touch on our offense. He also wants to know how much did John Gilbert play in this decision versus Mike Houston. Uh, Joe, Joe Sampson is on the show today, as is Philip Pokington producing. Guys, I mean, look, this is Mike Houston's call at the end of the day. Now, John Gilbert has connections and one of those connections really between John and Mike Houston is Houston's agent, Jimmy Sexton. He's as connected as anybody in the business, probably the number one representative of coaches in college football. Lane Kiffin's agent, Jimmy Sexton, Mike Houston's agent, Jimmy Sexton. You know, there was probably a connection there uh, where you figured out John David Baker could be a candidate to look at. And so he was a name that was brought up a long time ago, obviously officially interviewed later on, but I think a lot of people played a role in this decision, but it's ultimately Mike Houston. That's something I want to ask you about too, Joe. And I asked Coach Houston, he, you know, it wasn't that long ago he was running the triple option at the Citadel. <laughs> then he modifies to the this RPO, you know, spread offense with Donnie Kirkpatrick and James Madison. He wins a national championship there. Continued that into ECU. Up and down results a little bit. It became clear to him, hey, you can't just – have the best talent every time out like they did James Madison more times than not. you got to continue to evolve. I think he's done that with this move. This is a drastic change for Mike Houston. We talked about going for a home run, and this definitely feels like that. So just your your thoughts on Coach Houston's ability to, to continue to make big decisions at this point in his career. I mean, anytime you get into these high-powered situations, and first off, I want to know if – Coach Houston slash Coach Kiffin slash every other coach in the business's agent has more money now than Jimbo Fisher's agent because that guy got 3% at least for just sitting on his tail. So I want to know what that guy's doing first off. Second off, this is the move you had to make. We, we talked about it a little bit off the air and we talked about the difference between propelling yourself and decelerating yourself in this profession. This was the move. This is okay. Coach Houston's proved he can do it with the FCS talent. He's proven he can build up the D2 where you just kind of have to find one or two diamonds in the rough that can play with your competition, bring you above. FCS, it was all about getting the players who couldn't make it FBS, who could excel in the FCS. 
FBS is a whole new ballgame. Everybody gets 85 scholarships. Everybody has the facilities. Everybody except us has an indoor. All these different things are pretty even on paper as far as that goes. This was him showing. I have acknowledged it. He did it with Coach Trot when he had to let Coach Trot go. He did it when he had to let Byron Thweet go when he was the special teams coordinator and he brought in Tim Doust. He understands how important these decisions are. He understands where this can take his career. This is a move that you make. Yes, you're thinking about eight months from now in that first game, and you want to make sure you knock the brakes off Norfolk State when they come into Dowdy. You also want to make sure that when you're sitting here in two years and you're looking at your resume and you're looking for your next job opportunity and you're looking for this next thing or that next thing, you made the right move. You put yourself in a position that you showed you could evolve. You could accelerate what you can do. You can show all these different programs how it's supposed to be done so that they take a chance on you. And that's why Indiana just took a chance on Kurt Zignetti because he did that at James Madison. And in a couple of years, who knows, one of those power fives might take a chance on Mike Houston and John David Baker because of this move. We have a question here on YouTube. Uh, Sports Samurai Chat Shows asks, did John David Baker coach under Phil Longo at Ole Miss? He did not. So he no. was uh, uh, Phil yeah. Longo was at Ole Miss from 17, 18, then made the move to UNC. And uh, that was when Lane Kiffin and co. got the job at Ole Miss. And so he came in with that staff uh, later on. So he did not coach under Phil Longo, but had plenty of good offensive minds, including Jeff Levy, who just got the head coaching job at uh, at Mississippi State. Robert says it'll be tough to allow a full diagnosis for John David Baker year one. On one hand, I agree. On the other hand, and I'll get Phillip's take on this, we, we don't really have time to make a full diagnosis He's got to win right away. I mean, ECU is in a win-now mode, and I think that was the urgency we saw yesterday at the press conference and the urgency he talked with with the players yesterday evening. He's not coming in here with a two-, three-year plan, he said himself. He's coming in here to win year one. Well, he has to have that mindset because at the end of the day, you know, there were a lot of people calling for Mike Houston's head after this season, and if the Pirates do not bounce back and make a bowl game next year, I don't see – John Gilbert hanging on to Mike Houston, and usually when the head coach gets fired, so does everybody else. There is no time for this to be a multi-year process. You come in – now, I mean, let me wrong. Coaches are always on the hot seat. It's always a risk. That's the profession. But coming into this situation is a very low job security situation. He knows that. He knew that when he applied for the job, so he has to have that mindset. And also, in the era of Portal and NIL – you know, if you can have confidence in yourself, you're gonna have confidence that you could turn it around in one year. Look at what uh, Mike Elko did last year at Duke when he inherited what was an abysmal situation that had been left by David Cutcliffe. He turned it around with the snap of the finger, and uh, I think John David Baker has the mindset, and Pirate fans have the mindset that that can and will happen this year with the Pirate offense. All right, did we have another question here? Let's see. Also from Robert, he says, JDB mentioned his system is easy to learn, so does that mean simple version, uh, simple verbiage like an air raid? And you guys know the deal with Lincoln Riley. He just he doesn't even have a playbook. He's got the little note card that he you know folds in and folds out, and we'll, get, we'll have Bobby Harward on the show tomorrow. He was on staff with Lincoln and Ruff McNeil. We'll get his take on that. But, yeah. All I ever heard from Lincoln's system was it was extremely simple and based upon, obviously, what the defense was doing, but there was only so many plays. It was more about execution, tempo, and just being a step ahead of the defense as a result of those two things. So, Joe, is that kind of the vibe 
you get with this offense. Well, obviously doing a little bit more as well uh, in addition to that. But that, that's kind of the base pr- principle, I, I feel like. Simplicity is definitely important to it. But you also need to make sure you have the wrinkles. You need what we talked about, the pre-snap motion. You need the post-snap movement. You need the trades where you take the tight end off and you move them in the backfield. You need the flip where you hop the back over to the other side because you're trying to get the defense to give you something pre-snap. The Lincoln-Riley playbook is this big. This is what it is. It's a sheet of paper folded, (laughs) and then they take it. There's your red zone. There's your special calls, and that's it. That's the Lincoln-Riley offense. So, yes, the simplicity is what you wanted, but also look how that played out with possibly one of the best college quarterbacks by talent that we've ever seen that people are regarding as the next number one overall pick, and look at how he finished. At some point, your simplicity catches up with you, and that's where the wrinkles come in. That's where the new concepts come in. That's where building all these things comes off being a play caller. So I think simple verbiage is great, but I want more than just stick concepts, more than just a smash, a sale, all these different things that kind of get lost in translation when you try to do the crazy stuff and people forget about the simple stuff. But I want to make sure that if we motion some guy, he's running this on the run, that we're still getting to the same concepts, but we're switching it up so defenses don't pick up on it. Uh, do you feel like ECU has enough personnel already in this offense to at least run it somewhat decent, or is it going to take a massive haul in the transfer portal, Joe, to even find a way to execute this offense to the level John David Baker wants? What are your feelings on that? The first thing I'll say is, as we sit currently, uh, there's 19 open roster spots from people who have hit the portal one way or another. Uh, that's some walk-ons, some scholarship guys, some freshmen. But that's that's 19 spots to go get some guys you want. That's not including the other stuff that's going to come out in the next couple of days where some coaches decide to move on to other programs or vice versa, and those players decide to follow suit. That's, that's just what happens in December. We saw it. Texas just had a DB who had 17 total tackles and a fumble recovery. They're in the playoff. He just hit the portal right now. That's the name of the game. That's how this works out now with this new free agency. It's can I test the waters? Can I go get a better deal for myself? So we have 19 spots right now to flip to try and overhaul this roster. There could be 19 Juco guys. There could be 18 Juco guys and one high school guy. It doesn't really matter how it plays in. Then we've got a ton of seniors who have left the program now who can fill in in those spots as well. So you could look at like 36 different spots that you're trying to fill now, which is not a drastic overhaul, but it's enough that you could get some personnel out and bring some in. You've got home run hitters like Bond, if he can get him out of the backfield and use him well. Tyler Savage, Shane Calhoun, those two guys who have produced at this level before and now would have a different offense they can kind of get into. Brock Spaulding's a mismatch nightmare. I mean, his speed, he can play on the outside, he can do the inside stuff. Jari Patterson's going to be one of those guys to watch on some age moves, some jet sweep stuff that you're really kind of hoping for. And then Chase Soul. I can't say enough about what Chase Soul can grow to be in this offense. And if you look at what DK Metcalf did, if you look at what Elijah Moore did, if you look at what Jonathan Mingo did, all those guys who were the guy at Ole Miss and followed suit, Chase Soul can be the next one in the John David Baker offense. I'm very curious to see A, if Jari Patterson and Brock Spalding stick around. Mm. To me, they they have the ability. They they might not be the you know the number one guy, but they have the ability to be bigger factors than what we saw this past year. And no offense to Jalen Johnson, no offense to Josiah Hatfield, you know, great pirates. Uh, you know, had some awesome moments, but I am kind of ready for the next wave of guys to get their shot at receiver. And they're going to have to add 
two, three guys. I mean, they're definitely working on that. I think Darrell Roberts has already offered every uh, receiver in the transfer portal that is called a pass. Pretty close it feels to that it way. feels like. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're trying to find guys to come in because the room is just not very deep to begin with. But I feel like Jari Patterson is the type of guy who, who could really benefit from motion, getting the ball to guys in space, and the same thing with Brock Spalding, just more underneath throws, more motion, that sort of stuff. So it just, it feels like there's maybe some pieces that have been underutilized there that could fit this scheme better. So we'll see how that transpires going forward. And then you got the running back situation. We'll see what happens with Rajay, Marlon Gunn, uh, Gerald Green. But, you know, we, I do think Javius Bond has a chance to really take off in this offense. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back, and we will discuss the names in the transfer portal for ECU. Taylor Jackson. The first surprise of the portal uh, time is, since the season ended as he enters the portal. We'll discuss that move and more. This is Hoist the Colors on the Tuesday. Hey, what's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in to Hoist the Colors on this Tuesday. I'm at the home studio, Joe Sampson and Philip Pilkington in the 94.3 The Game studios and bringing you coverage. Uh, by the way, we should mention Pirate Basketball got a doubleheader sweep yesterday. We may touch on that a little bit later in the program as well as the Pirate men take down Maryland Eastern Shore 63-52 and then the women had a huge second half to uh, pull away for a double-digit victory as well over the Hawks. So, Joe, you were in the you were in the crow's nest, right? No, I know not last night. No. Oh, that was Philip. Yeah, it was Philip. So, Felipe. So I was not actually I was not up there. I was at the game with my wife, kids, and, and my parents, um, which was a, a fun experience. My my son ended up being more enthused by the kid zone. So great job by the pirate administration uh, doing that because that, that got, uh, that got him and my wife uh, away for a little bit. So I could focus on the game with my eight month old daughter. So that was fun. But Philip, how was it in the crow's nest? And what was your view of, of the, the pirate sweep? Did you say for both games? Yeah, I did. I may or may not have been picking out the nacho bar for majority of the first half of the women's game, but, uh, you know, it was good up there. It was me, Kaysen, Patrick Mason. So um, it was a good time. Uh, defense looked good. Both Pirates teams, men's and women's, forced more turnovers than the amount of field goals in which they allowed. So that was great to see. Both got in a little foul trouble. Women's game got a little scrappy. There was a nice uh, little uh, fight that broke out after the game. That was fun to watch. But uh, I don't think there's going to be any post-game ejections. At least hopefully not. The officials had already gone to the locker room. So I guess there's always on tape and the eye in the sky never lies. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, congratulations to both teams. A post-game fight without the officials. I'm glad they got it straightened out because that would uh, that could have gotten pr- uh, problematic. Chase wants to know, why did the men's game start so early? I'd argue most people weren't even off work yet. Don't they want people to come to the game? So I don't have an official answer on this, Chase, other than they probably wanted to give uh, the girls a spotlight uh, for the, the nighttime game. And you know, hope some of the crowd from the men's game, which are, are more attended, oftentimes in the women's game, spill over into that. I had to get home, uh, get, get dinner, put the kids to bed, so I actually ended up missing the the women's game. But 
I would think that was the th- the thought process. I don't know for sure though. I haven't gotten any official confirmation on that. But yeah, my dad, who never complains all that much, shot me a text and made sure to uh, to remind me to ask why the game is starting at four, and uh, you know figure out the reasoning behind that. Since so many people, including himself, had to take off work a little early to get there, but it is what it is. Uh, the Pirates got a doubleheader sweep, so maybe that calms some some uh, some nerves a little bit. All right, let's talk about the transfer portal. We may circle back to basketball if we have time. We were planning to also go back over our preseason picks. I think we're going to have to delay that. We might do that on Friday's show, guys, since we don't have really any games to pick. Just America for this game. coming weekend. So, yeah, just Army Navy. So we may do that Friday, where we look back at you know the the season that was we made preseason picks awful preseason picks so we can relive that and laugh at ourselves but let's talk about the transfer portal east carolina you mentioned it they've got about 20 guys in right now now i think i've counted 13 scholarship players and this is counting by the way Taekwon king who announced he was going to enter the portal like after four games so 13 scholarship players to this point as of 12:43 on tuesday december 5th the big names Taylor Jackson was the biggest surprise he announced during yesterday's basketball game. He was going to enter the portal. He's since gotten offers from UTSA, Western Kentucky, just offered him a few minutes ago, UCF, and also Temple. We'll see where Taylor winds up. He was in his first year as a starting linebacker for the Pirates, had a solid year, but just kind of surprised at that move. Um, so we'll start there, Joe. How surprised were you Taylor entered the portal going into his final year of eligibility, at, you know, seemingly having a, a likely starting spot locked up going into next year? I don't know if I have the answer for that. Uh, I'll have to talk to him directly, just see what he was feeling. I don't want to insinuate or, or kind of speculate anything as far as that goes. I, I just think at some point you just kind of feel the writing on the wall. Maybe somebody underneath you might have a better shot. You might get... In this new age of college football and the portal and free agency, could have gotten a call from somebody. I mean, he is graduating, to my knowledge, in December. So he could be one of those guys who was a grad transfer eligible immediately because of how that plays out. It's, it's just one of those things. You might want to go back closer to home. There's so much to it that we don't really know about that this was definitely a shock to a lot of people. I mean, he was so productive. He's been nothing but great for the program for four years. I've never heard a single bad thing about him in any kind of sphere, whether it was opposing team, definitely not in our team. So I'm definitely a little lost for words as far as him hitting the portal. He was not expected, that's for sure. Yeah, just talking to some people over there when we did the press conference, I mean, that was that wrapped up around 1.32, and at that point, I don't think anybody expected him to hit the portal. But to be honest, guys don't even really have to let the coaches know. I mean, they can say one thing and then just enter the portal whenever – and so you never know. I mean, it's just look around college football. This is not an ECU problem. This is a college football issue right now across the country. All right, other names into the portal. Leif Margin, he is not on scholarship, but as a kickoff specialist, you know, he's probably going and looking for a chance to kick, maybe get a scholarship elsewhere. You had a couple offensive linemen that contributed in the past. Richard Pierce started the first three games of last year before you know, moving to more of a special teams role once they moved Dustin Hall from center to guard. We saw Isaiah Foote lose his starting job. He entered the portal. 
uh, for his uh, final two years of eligibility. You also saw a couple of defensive linemen, Jason Shuford and Xavier McIver, who have played some football. So you've kind of had some guys, Joe, that have played that you're familiar with. You probably grew up with a lot of these guys in this program. And so what do you make of the names that have entered to this point? And again, there's various reasons for each guy. But uh, have there been any other surprises right now? And, and what do you make of the list thus far? Isaiah made a lot of sense when I saw his name pop up. He kind of got phased out a little bit just between injuries and availability and all that. Um, as a guy who kind of played the majority of the last two years in some kind of capacity, didn't surprise me to see him seek another opportunity based on how he kind of had his fair shake this year between injuries and all those things. I'm I'm a little lost for words at McIver and Shuford. Uh, that D-line room is extremely close. Those are the guys that we kind of came in with, with Harold year one. I was the year before, but I was in that room. They they speak so highly of each other. For McIver and Shuford to decide to do that is a very mature decision, something I'm sure they did not take lightly. And given their experience and their production, I'm sure will yield them a great opportunity. Uh, they were definitely not on my bingo card, so to speak. Richard Pierce, after the Michigan game, and he kind of got phased out for Dustin Hall, wasn't surprised by any means. I think, actually, he might be able to protect. No, I don't know if he played in more than four games. He might have on special teams. Um, but he's one of those guys that was supposed to have a huge year. Just Dustin Hall came in, had a, a better year than what he did, so that wasn't a surprise. He would have been on my bingo card, the proverbial way of that. Uh, the Tegan Wilk one, obviously we've talked about it a little bit. That was a little bit of a shock. I guess there's a little bit more opportunity, maybe go play closer to home. That's one of those ones that kind of surprised me. And then most of the specialists, to the people who don't know, if you weren't on scholarship, it's not out of the ordinary for you to transfer every year as a specialist. You're looking for your opportunity to go get one. You're looking for your chance to be the starter. I mean, even Mitch Jeter, who was the starting kicker this year for South Carolina and has been for the last three years, has hit the portal as well. That's not out of the ordinary for those guys to try and go seek another opportunity and win a job in that way. So those didn't come as a shock to me. Uh, Pop McKay writing was on the wall, I think, just not able to produce in the last couple of years because there's been so much talent in the running back room. Sion Agnew was a little bit of a shock. I mean, you've only been here for six months. Uh, it was a little odd for him to hit the portal this early, but also I guess he could capitalize on what he was in high school to try and flip that. I, I believe he was a Louisville commit before he flipped to the Pirates, so he could have that kind of connection still in his back pocket. Yeah, we'll have to see how – you know, th th there are so many guys in the portal, Joe. I mean, it's just – 1,300, I look, think it was. The official so Division One football. These these are just uh, final transfer portals numbers from yesterday, according to Matt Zenitz from Twenty Four Seven Sports. One thousand and eighty players that entered the portal yesterday, and that was that's not counting players who had already entered yeah. before. Five hundred and thirty scholarship players. So you have a lot of walk-ons in that list, but still, right. you add that to the grad transfers. I mean, that is just. Uh, there are going to be a lot of guys that just get lost in the shuffle, man. And I don't know. You know, there's going to be some good players that get lost. That's just you can't have that many players enter. There's just not enough spots to go around. Like ECU still taking 20 high school recruits. They don't have room to take a full transfer class. So it's just 
it's just madness right now, and we'll just have to see how it all how it all plays out. I don't know. Um, we could talk about that forever. Let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll answer any full uh, any final questions from you guys on YouTube and Facebook, and then we'll wrap up the show here on a Tuesday on HTC. We'll be right back. All right, let's go. Back to hoist the colors with Stephen Iko. Drink up, me, Aussie Joe Ho. One ninety four three. The game. Welcome back in. Hoist the colors on a Tuesday. A few minutes left here on the show here as we bring you analysis from John David Baker's press conference. Also analysis from the transfer portal. Joe Sampson is alongside back in studio. Philip Pilkington is producing. All right, a few more comments here. We'll get out of here. Johnny Robertson on Facebook says, I spoke to Brock Spalding's parents at the Navy game. He said they said he was sometimes very frustrated but loves being a pirate. And, yeah, Joe, if you're not frustrated and you're on the team last year, there's there's something wrong. So I, I don't think anybody being frustrated from last year is a surprise. No, not at all. I mean, this is an offense that we've talked about had three games where they did not score a touchdown. Uh, that's not what you want by any means. It's an offensive player who came in as a high recruit. I mean, experienced the offensive juggernauts of the last two years, and that's what you're watching as a recruit expecting to be a part of it. So I'm not shocked by any means at his kind of uh, frustration. Tony Hicks says, where is Jaden Walker? Did not see him on the bench yesterday. Jaden Walker was sick. Mike Schwartz said after the game, he actually tried to give it a go, was just not feeling well, so they sent him home. He was kind of frustrated by that, but better not to get anybody else on the team sick. So non-COVID-related illness for Jaden Walker, according to Mike Schwartz. Uh, Samurai on YouTube says, regarding the portal, what is Coach Houston's primary positions of need? O-line, quarterback, receiver is what he asked. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it there. Uh, quarterback has got to yeah. be at the top of the list, right, Joe? And I think, we'll, I think we'll start to hear some names here towards the end of this week once visits start to happen. But that's that's the priority. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I've got four in front of me as we speak that just either hit yesterday or today. Um, Daquan Finn is the big one you kind of heard about lately today. That's the Toledo quarterback who was in the MAC championship this year, had an unbelievable run. Curtis Rourke, kid out of Ohio, had, I think, 3,500 passing yards this year. He's been unbelievable. Joey Labas is a, a less exciting name, but he did hit the portal. It's a former Iowa quarterback. We, we talked a little bit about that. Kenny Seals, uh, SEC guy from Vanderbilt, has a lot of connections to a lot of different places. We've heard his name pop up a couple times. So just four right off the bat you've seen, and then obviously the, the crazy top tens are the ones that you lose your mind about. Kyle McCord hitting the portal was a shock to everyone. So it's a lot to find out in the next couple days and weeks, 30 days starting from There's going to be a pecking – there's going to be a pecking order, Joe, and ECU's kind of got a way for that to fall – out and see who's a realistic candidate, who's not. All I know, Joe, from that list, please keep any Iowa quarterback <laughs> away from East Carolina. Please. No, Joey Labas. That's my, that's my only thought on that. Nothing against the kid, but anybody who wore Iowa, uh, an Iowa jersey last year, I'm good. All right, Joe, Unless appreciate the time end. today, man. Always. Unless they're tight a tight end. That's a that good is, point. That is also true. Any Iowa tight end or defensive player is welcome, just not a quarterback. All right, for Joe, for Philip, I'm Stephen Igo. Thanks to everybody on the comments section and uh, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter for following along. We'll see you tomorrow at 12 noon with Bobby Harward to continue to break this thing down. See you. 
This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Colors on 943 The Game. Don't go through another year with that.